If you would turn in your Bibles to Genesis 1, Genesis 1, uh, as if our study in Romans wasn't long enough, we're going to make it longer by studying Genesis 1. Um, last week, we looked at Romans 10, and uh, we put Romans 10, verses 14 through 21, hopefully in, in its proper context, that Paul is defending God's faithfulness, he is showing that God has faithfully exalted preachers so that the gospel would be heard, the gospel would be understood, and, and what, what lacked in the people of God was faith. It was their lack of, their being separated from Christ was due to their lack of faith. It was not due to the lack of preachers and hearers. And we, we then connected that to our own salvation. And to see that my salvation, your salvation, if you are a believer, is simply God exalting, raising up another preacher of the gospel. That, that word preacher there, it's not just for those of us who have pastor on our business card. If, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God in you God has raised up a defender of the gospel, a defender of truth. If you were to look in 1 Timothy Chapter 3, the church is the pillar and the support of truth. We are the defender of truth. We, 1 Peter 3.15, we, we are to be ready to give a defense for the gospel. We are, to be, we are to be ready to defend, to do that with gentleness and with truth. And we, 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 said, we looked quickly at Ephesians 4, and, and let me read that. That really is a, a thesis statement, if you will, for my role for, uh, in some ways, our gatherings here. And again, I'm setting the stage for why we're going to do what we're going to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. Here it is. What is my, what is my job? For my job is to equip the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the statue which belongs the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind and doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. My, my role as a pastor is to help the believers to grow up, to be mature, to be firm, to understand what they believe, to understand why they believe it, so that they can defend it, so that you are not tossed around by every wind and wave and trickery of doctrine. And, and you, you see the imagery there. If you've ever gone to the beach and your kids have gone out into the surf, those waves are constant and they batter you and they beat you and they knock you over. That's Satan's schemes. And through truth, we're built up so that we can detect those schemes, so that we'll stand firm in those schemes. What we gather here so that we'd be equipped to do what we're called to do. And so connecting both of those, that, that in your salvation God has raised up another faithful preacher 
of the Word, a defender of the Word, knowing that my job is to help you, is to equip you to do what you've been called to do, I want to make sure that we're equipped to share the gospel. I want to make sure that we're understanding an accurate gospel, but I also want to make sure that we're equipped to share the gospel. It's one thing for, for the Word to tell you to do something, but if you don't know how to do it, and you don't really know what it is, it's hard to do that. So for the next couple of weeks, and again, this is going to take, this is going to take a few weeks to unpack this. I, I want to tell us, show us in the, in the, through the Bible, help us to understand the story of the gospel so that we can share it, so that we know it well, so that we can share it, we can defend it. We're equipped. Listen, and I'm not saying it has to look exactly like this. I am saying it better include the elements that I'm going to give you over the next few weeks because if it doesn't include the right elements, it ceases to be the gospel. Right? It's like a medicine. You, you take that pill, that pill has been, has been designed by chemists or whoever to do something very specific. If you alter the elements of that pill... Maybe to take away the side effects. Maybe to make it taste better. Maybe so it goes down easier. Listen to me. When you do that, you run in danger of making the pill not do what it was supposed to do. And, and just like Clay read this morning, we, we better not mess with the gospel. The gospel is offensive. The gospel it can, it can be divisive. And listen, we live in a culture and we're dealing with generations where we have watered down the gospel to, to, to a fraction of what it actually is. And I think it's the reason we see what we see. You, you can't leave parts of the gospel out, otherwise it doesn't make sense, otherwise it doesn't work. One gospel, as Clay said in Galatians, huge consequences for messing around with the gospel. And so, and listen... The Bi- understand this, the Bible, as we get into this, the Bible is a story. It's a true story. It, it has a beginning. It has an end. It has a plot in between. And just like with, with any story, there are certain elements, you, you better know what's going on or else you're not going to understand where you are. If you skip chapters in a book and you just jump into chapter 6... You're, you're, here's what you're, the reader's wondering. How do we get here? Why is this the way this is? And why is this the way this is? Because you don't fully grasp the story. And again, the story can be confusing. It can lose its import if key elements aren't there that connect the beginning to the end. Key elements, again, that makes everything that happens in the middle make sense. So you can see where the story began and where it's going and where it's headed and why it is the way it is. And I shared this a few weeks ago. I I was reminded of this when my son is a huge Star Wars fan. And and so we, each time when they come out, my wife is very faithful to make sure that we go uh, very early on when he comes out and watch it so that that he sees it and, and hasn't heard from other people and... And all that, he can see it very early on. He, he loves Star Wars. We, we went with him and we watched the new Star Wars uh, some time ago. And, and, I, and I told you, I appreciated it on a very surface level. 
simply from a cinematic level. Hey, it's a good movie. But my son, Bradley, he got so much more out of it. Why? Because he knows the whole story. He could connect the individual parts of that episode to all the other parts in prior episodes. And the story made so much more sense to him. I mean, I, he, we're watching the same movie and our emotions are totally different. Our enjoyment was totally different. Why? Because Bradley knew the whole story. He knew how everything was connected. He, he, he knew the bigger picture. He knew the value of certain things. He knew the import. When this one person shows up, he knew what that meant. He knew where it had been, where it was going. There were no gaps. And, and, and for Bradley, unfortunately for Bradley, in order for him to really enjoy that, he's got to go to Clay Brown, and he's got to go to Chris Adams, and he's got to go to Uncle Jimmy to really talk about it, because when he tries to talk to me about it, he gets nowhere. I literally asked him, I said, Bradley, th- listen, I literally asked him the other day, who is Luke's father again? He looked at me, like, that's one of the most famous lines in all of movies. I, I got nothing for you, son. Go to the neighbor. But Bradley knows the story well. And Bradley can freely talk about Star Wars in a way that I can't freely talk about Star Wars. Why? Because I don't know the story well. I don't know the details well. And, and, and I would argue it's the same with the Bible, that if we need to know the whole story so we can share the whole story, but also so that the parts can have the greater impact. So hear me. I'm trying to help us over the next couple weeks to understand the full story. Listen, even as we study individual books, that's helping us to understand the full story. Because the better we know the story, the better we can tell the story. So hear this. Over the next few weeks, don't make this this about a presentation that you have to do exactly like I share it. Listen, talking about the gospel... Presenting the gospel, it's not a presentation, it's a conversation. It's a fluid conversation that you have with somebody. It's not, sit there while I get through all my stuff. No, it ought to be conversational. You ought to know it so well that you can just talk about it. And, and again, listen, when, when we talk to people about our kids, when we talk to people about our family, when we talk to people at work, we don't talk to them like that. It's a story. We're, we're free to just talk. Why? Because we know it well. We know our wife well, our kids well, hopefully. It's conversational. There's interaction. And again, sharing the gospel, it ought to be more about a conversation with your neighbors and co-workers and, a, and an ongoing dialogue more than a sit still, let me give my presentation. And our job, our job as we saw last week is to share the story, the word. It's the word, listen, it's the word that quickens faith, not my words. It's the word. We saw it last week in Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It's the word that the spirit quickens faith with. People need responding to the word, not my words, right? I do my part. I share the gospel story, but God does his part through the work of the spirit and quickens faith. But it's my job, my responsibility, if you will. I've been commissioned as an ambassador to share the story. So in order to share the story, we need to know the story. And so I want to make sure 
that we know the story well. So over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to do. And again, don't look at this about winning an argument. This is not even about winning an argument. This is about having a conversation. This is about being ready in season, out of season, as the Bible says, to preach the gospel, to tell the gospel. This is to know the story so well that no matter what conversation you have, you can, you can introduce the gospel into it. You can route it. Listen, and it's not an issue when we, when we really love things, right? There's some of us who every conversation they have, they take it to sports or they take it to this. or take, Why? Because you love sports. Because you love this. Because you love that. If you know the story well, you ought, to be able to take, you ought to be able to take every conversation, see that the real need of that individual is answered in the gospel. And so, the gospel... The gospel, what is it? One word, if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna reduce this down to one word, if if there's one word over the next few weeks that you remember, it's this. It's the word righteous. Righteousness. Righteous or righteousness. You can trace that word, listen, you can trace that one word throughout the entire story of the Bible. Righteousness is the issue. Listen, it's not about being good enough. It's about being righteous. And I hear that all the time. Are you good enough? Are you good enough? Listen, someone can argue whether they're good enough all day long. You you can find somebody that you're better than. You can find somebody you're worse than. The issue of the gospel is this. Are you perfect? Matthew 5, 48. Jesus said this. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. James 2.10, if you keep the whole law and break one part of it, you are guilty of breaking the whole law. The issue of the gospel is not good enough. It's not 80%, it's not 90%, it's not 99%, it's 100% or zero. You're either, you're not kind of perfect. You're either perfect or you aren't perfect. And again, that word righteous it's translated all different ways in the Bible. It, holy, perfect, just. But again, only righteous people go to heaven. Jesus said this to the Pharisees very early on in his ministry in, a, in, in Matthew 5.20. The Pharisees were, highly, were regarded highly as, as highly religious people. Externally, they were very religious. And Jesus said to them, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.20 Mere external righteousness, merely doing good, merely getting 90-95% of the law, merely doesn't cut it. And, And listen, in the gospel... God is restoring righteousness to his creation because he is righteous. He is restoring righteousness. And and we saw this in in the very beginning of Romans. Like Clay said last week, in a galaxy far, far away, back at the beginning of 2019, January of 2019, Romans 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, 
to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And here it is. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man shall live by faith. It's an issue of righteousness. And and if I could summarize the gospel, I I worked hard on this all week. And, you know, it's such a a full, full concept. And I, I worked on it. You see it there on your handout. If you could summarize the gospel in one sentence, a long sentence, but here it is. Kelly, great writer, she would say it may be a run-on sentence. But listen, it's one sentence. It's got a capital at the beginning in my world and a period at the end. That means it's a sentence, right? It's a sentence. All right? The gospel is God rightly and graciously making a way for himself to justly Offer his righteousness, there's the word, to his creation through faith alone in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. Thus reconciling his creation to a right relationship with himself. A relationship God designed to be enjoyed for all eternity. Again, I'm sure with as many eyes are looking at that sentence. Chris, what about this and what about this? Listen, that, that's as good as I got for now. I would argue for the rest of my life, as long as I walk with the Lord, I'm going to be fully, more fully every day understanding the gospel. But again, this goes back even to what we saw, and we'll look at it in Romans 3, 21 through 26. Verse 20 says, For by the law no one will be declared righteous. And immediately in verse 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The deal is this, how does a holy, righteous God justify sinners and maintain his righteousness? That's what 3.26 says, therefore God could be just and the justifier of those who have faith in God. Proverbs 17.15 says God hates those who justify the wicked and who condemn the righteous. If God's not careful, he's doing the very thing he hates. If he doesn't orchestrate the gospel rightly. Because in the gospel, he is justifying the wicked. And he is condemning those who think that they are selfishly righteous. This is a big deal. And and the story of the Bible is that story. It's the gospel. It tells us why. It, it, the, the story tells us why Jesus had to come and live a perfect life and die and be resurrected. The whole story, that's what I want to share over the next few weeks so that you and I can confidently tell the story well and completely. And prayerfully, we'll see people come to faith because, again, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Know the Word. I mean, again, this good news. Paul said it. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring Good news. The good news is this. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be washed white as snow. The good news is this, that as, as the east is from the west, so, uh, what is it, Psalm 103.12, your sins can be separated from you. That's good news. Because those sins are what keep you out of heaven. You're not righteous. So how? How does God do this? How does the story all fit together? That's what I want to talk about. And I want to so that we can put the individual parts in their right place because they gain importance. It's like a chapter in a book. 
Really, if you just come and read that one chapter, you may see it's great, but if you understand the whole book and how chapter 5 reconciles what happened in chapters 1 through 4, now chapter 5 makes a whole lot more sense. Now chapter 5 means a lot more. And so again, we're going to look at the first half of this today. If that. Again, I, I mean, I had, I had intended for this to be one week and... 13 pages of notes later, I'm like, that ain't going to happen. They, I'm trying to get y'all out of here by 1045 on a habit, and that ain't going to happen with 13 pages of notes. So even with six today, it may not happen. So we're going to do the best we can. We're going to get halfway through it. In the beginning, you see on your handout, let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, we see God creating everything perfectly and offering intimate fellowship with man and woman as they do what they were created to do. Here it is. Rule over God's creation on God's behalf as His representatives bearing His image. Start at the beginning. That's always a good place to start, right? Start at the beginning. Again, that's why I told you, go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Hello. Four words in. Four words into this story. Guess who we're introduced to? The main character. The main character. Listen, just like Clay said, you listen to Christian music, you listen to all this stuff on the radio, Christian music, by and large part, has dethroned God as the main character. It's all about you and me. I hear it all the time. The gospel is a testimony to my worth. The gospel is a testimony to the greatness of God. The gospel is a testimony to the righteousness of God. Listen, in saving you and I, he's saving rebels. He's saving enemies. He's saving people who warrant death, who warrant his wrath, and that's where they ought to stay, but for the the graciousness of God. God could have done nothing. He could have done nothing. He could have saved nobody. And he would be just as righteous today as he is that he saved a lot of bodies. We need to figure that out. God is the hero here. You and I are not the main character. And in Genesis 1-1, we're introduced to the main character of the story, the gospel, God himself. And and it's important to keep in mind, we keep this in mind as we tell the story. Again, the main character in the Bible, the gospel, is God, not you and I. He's the main character. That's the first fill-in. Right from the start, we learn his character. Right from the start, we learn his desires. We learn his passions for his creation. we got to see this right off the bat. The main character is God. And what Genesis 1 teaches us is that from nothing, God brought about everything. This is how everything got here by God's word. God's creative initiative. It's very important that, look, when you're telling the story, you need to start with creation. You need to start with the original intent of creation. So when you get to later on part and you say, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God, they understand, oh, well, you just told me in Genesis 1-1 that God created us in the glory and image of God. That's where we've fallen from. See how the whole story starts to fit together? Start in the beginning. This is how everything got here. It's very important that we start here. You see it on your handout. Everything that we see in the Bible flows 
from God graciously creating and revealing Himself through what He created and why He created it. Everything flows from this. It's connected to this. Even in, even in, in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, all the way in the New Testament, listen to what he says. For God, Paul writes, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you see how Paul connects creation to the gospel? God, it, you connect it. The gospel is rooted in the same nature and character of God who created all things originally by grace and by mercy. In creation, the character of God is on display. In, gospel, in the gospel, uh, the good news that we think about it as the same character of God is on display. Connect these two things in the gospel. One story. A, a creating God. A God who is giving life out of nothing. Do you realize that's exactly what he's doing in, in salvation? He's giving life to deadness. We'll see it later on. And, and I, I, I get anxious to get into these things. But again, 2 Corinthians 5.17 For as many as are in Christ are what? New creations. Do you see how that's connected to his original creation? In salvation, again, not to tip my hat, but God is literally recreating what He originally created. He's restoring His creation. And so some basic truths here that we can draw out about God right from the beginning, and you see on my handout. Basic truths that you need to understand and, and be confident in, convicted in. God alone is God, founder and creator of all things, and is what everything is about. Listen, everything was created by God and for God. That's what Kelly read in Colossians earlier, Colossians 1. Everything was, exist, it was created for God and by God and will be reconciled to God. God alone is that creator. We did not evolve. We were not accidents. God specifically intentionally created. But secondly, God is a redeeming God. And all throughout chapter 1, you see order from chaos, something from nothing, light from darkness. God is a redeeming God. The God in, in saving sinners, you're simply seeing further that God is a redeeming God. And again, go over it. We're not going to go through all the days of creation because go to 26, verse 26 of chapter 1. The, we're, we're hitting the highlights here. But the very, very important parts. Again, up to this point, day 1 through 5, God creates everything. Just know that. God creates everything. You can go back and read the individual parts later. Look at verse 26. Day 6. Then God said, Let us make man in our image... Again, there's a Trinitarian aspect there, relational aspect. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule. There it is. What, were, what, were, what was creation intended to do? To rule on God's behalf. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that, it is, on, that is on the surface of all the earth, every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given everything, every green plant for food. And it was good. It was so. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. These verses teach us some very, very powerful, important truths at the, that, that really form the foundation of everything, everything pertaining to the gospel. Important truths. Listen, first one, you see it on your handout. Humanity was created in God's image. Okay? The, there's a likeness. There's a character. There's morality. Unique from animals. God's image. Humanity was created in God's image. Keep that in mind. That's a very important truth because in the gospel, God is restoring that. I'll give you a hint. That's why 1 Peter 1.15 says, Be holy for your Father is holy. Why 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, This is the will of God, your sanctification. What is God doing in this new creation? He's gradually restoring His image that one day in eternity, when we get glorified bodies, He will fully restore, right? He's restored. That's why we pursue holiness. We're rest- Literally, if you're a believer here today, in sanctification, God is restoring that original image that you would rule and reign on His behalf. Secondly, humanity was created to have dominion over God's creation, on his behalf. You saw multiple times, rule. We were meant to subdue the earth, to rule the earth. In bearing God's image, everywhere we went, God's image would go forth all over his created world. All the created world would bear his image through us. Dominion. And and we see there, the rest of humanity existed of the rest of creation existed to support humanity. Third truth, God's creation as God created and intending it, intended it to be was very good. Very good. God had a perfect relationship with creation. It functioned as it was intended to function. Humanity was righteous, perfect, and store, enjoyed perfect fellowship with God as God designed it and intended it and created it. And listen, before we move on, important to note the following, again, again, the following baseline. This forms the following baseline through which we can interpret the rest of the story. Okay? Listen, the rest of the story can be interpreted through this baseline. And you see it on a handout. The underlying truth we see behind God's creation is that humanity was made to be representatives of God meaning humanity was to live in right relationship with God, under the wisdom of God, ruling over God's creation and representing Him wherever we go and whenever we do. Representatives. We were made to be His representatives. 
part of what's included when it says we bore his image. This is what we were created to do. Again, our existence was entirely about God. It went back to God to represent God perfectly in all that we do. Everything, bearing his image. And when you think about likeness, likeness can be two ways. Likeness can be physical, and likeness can be moral or behavioral, right? I have two uh, biologic, they're my biological children, all right? Unfortunately for them, Bradley's may grow up to look like me. Too bad. You didn't get Brad Pitt's a dad or Tom Cruise. Sorry, you're going to grow up in my physical likeness. You know, I hope you're taller than me. You know, whatever. Physical likeness. Okay? Many of you in here, but, but also they're going to have a, a moral likeness, a behavioral likeness. All of us have been there where, we've, where my, my children will do something and my mom or my dad will say, you are, you're just like your daddy. Now, that's not always a compliment. But you're just like your daddy. There's behavioral. And, see, and we see this especially in homes with adopted children. Those children, listen, they will not bear the physical image of, of oftentimes. You know, sometimes people will adopt a child from another ethnicity or another uh, um, race or, or from another culture. Physically, they will be, it will be very clear that those are not their biological children. But as those children live under the shelter and the roof of their parents, guess what happens? Those children begin to resemble their parents behaviorally, morally. They begin to reflect characteristics of the one they're under. They, they take on the image of their adopted parents. See that even in submitting to the Word, even in Bible study, in sanctification. God is restoring His image in us. So that when you and I go out, we think like our Heavenly Father, we act like our Heavenly Father, we see the world like our Heavenly Father, so that we will reign on His behalf. And again, physical likeness, you can look like somebody or you can act like somebody. And in this case, again, Adam and Eve, they reflected morally, especially, the character of God. Adam was without sin at this point. And with that, he was able to make perfect, he could make moral decisions in line with God. No, again, no sin nature. Adam was capable of sin. He did not have a sin nature. Different than you and I. And we'll show that in just a moment. He was a perfect representative of God at this point. But it also points to relationship. This is personal. God created man and woman to have relationship with Him. To be, to be communal in that sense. Humanity is relational in a way that animals and plants and that aren't relational. It's different. We were made for relationships. And men and women's existence was connected. This is what we see here in Genesis 1. Men and women's existence was connected completely to God and His purpose and the spread of His glory throughout all of His creation. That was why they were created. 
to enjoy communion with God and to represent God throughout and to rule throughout his creation on his behalf. And again, relationships. Keep this in mind. All about everything is about God, even in our existence, that we would reign on his behalf, under his authority, in his authority, and that we would reflect him in everything we do. And, and this is why we were created. We were created for God's purposes, for his glory. Had Adam not sinned, he would have reigned again over God's creation. Perfectly. Ruled. And then you get to Genesis 2. Okay? Genesis 2. Genesis 2, understand this, is a deeper detailed account of day 6. Okay, it is a deeper, detailed account of day six. Again, you see it in go to chapter four. I mean, go to verse four of chapter two. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day when the Lord God made earth and heaven. He's giving detail here. And what we see here is specifically, again, more specifics about how creation was meant and designed to reign and to rule and to worship and enjoy fellowship with God. Go to verse 15 of chapter 2. Verse 15, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God took the man. Again, Eve's not around yet. That's important on a different story if we were doing a detailed explanation, but that's, that's for later. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it, all right? The Lord God commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay, what Adam was placed in the garden in order to do what? Cultivate it and keep it to work, Raul. Good answer. And again, you go later on to the end of the story. Go to verse 25, just quickly. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Everything that God had created, the relationships between man and woman, the relationships between man and, his, man and creation, the relationship between creation and God was perfect. But God put Adam in the garden to work it, to keep the land, to cultivate it, to cultivate God's creation on his behalf. And God told them to do this. This is why, again, they were created, to reign and cultivate and keep God's creation. Interesting there in verse 15, the words cultivate and keep in their original language literally mean worship and serve. How, did, how was Adam to worship and serve God? By obeying Him and keeping His creation as God intended. By working. Again, connect that. I, I'm giving you hints here. Connect that to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether you eat, drink, or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Why? Because that's why God created you. One of the main ways God has created if you want to go read Jordan Rainer's book, Master of One, he, he does a phenomenal job of detailing this. But one of the ways that we glorify, one of the primary ways we glorify God is through our work. It's taking the, the skills and the talents 
and all that God has created you with and for and using them to cultivate his creation on his behalf. And that's what Adam did. You see it on your handout. Humanity was created to worship and serve God by obeying him and ruling over his creation as God's representatives on his behalf under his wisdom. This is how humanity would enjoy a great relationship with God. By keeping his word, by, by working, by worship, by, by serving. And again, they were naked and unashamed in this. Why? Because righteousness existed. Again, there was perfection. Man, God's creation walked as God designed. There was peace between God and man. There was peace between man and woman. There was peace between man and God's creation. All the things that we do not see today existed in God's original creation, right? Man is not at peace with God. We're at enmity to our sin. Man is not at peace with each other. We fight and quarrel. Man is not even at peace with his creation. We're going down to the Bahamas, Lord willing, in July. Hurricanes, earthquakes, tornadoes. We just saw in Tennessee, there's no peace. That is a reminder that this world is broken. But again, God reveals his plan and intention for creation. And listen, it is very important that when you're telling the story you don't, may not have to go into every detail I've gone in for 35, 40 minutes, but you, they need to start with creation. People need to hear what God created originally so that they can put the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and the reconciliation there in its proper context. God's plan, I mean, God's creation before sin was perfect. And God had a perfect purpose and reason for creation. And it wasn't you, and it wasn't me, it was God. He's the main character. And man and woman and all of God's creation was designed to reflect their creator, to be about their creator. Right? To rule, to reign. And that's going to be important, because listen, the very beginning of the Bible... We see God's, God's creative intent was for man to rule. Here's a, here's a hint. Go to Revelation 22, verse 5 at the very end of the Bible, and guess what you see? God's redeemed, saved individuals are doing what? They're reigning and ruling with Christ forevermore. You see why it's, it's important to start in the beginning? In salvation, God is reconciling what he originally created. And he's restoring that. Unfortunately, Genesis 3. Genesis 3. And you see it number 2. Number 2. God has created things perfectly, created man to rule, to reflect him. Listen, number 2. You see it on handout. You need to tell somebody something like this. God's perfect creation rebelled against God, their creator, choosing their own wisdom over his, Submitting to rather than ruling over creation. And as a result, all of creation now experiences curse rather than blessing. Chaos rather than peace. Death rather than life. Again, I, I forgive the length of these statements, but there's a lot that needs to be said in these statements. 
What, what we experience, earthquakes, tornadoes, divorce, broken homes, broken marriages, broken relationships, cancer, death. Listen, everything you see in this world, listen, it's due sin. The brokenness is due sin. It is a reminder, and we'll see it in a minute, that this world is broken. And again, that's why the context of showing a perfect creation is important because you see where God is taking it back to that this world has a, there's a problem. There's a problem. And look at Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Got to get through this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, interesting, this is why these sermons get too long. Eve, listen, when God gave the command in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, Eve did not exist at the time. Right? God gave that command to Adam as the head of the household, Adam was to tell his wife that command and lead out in that. And you see how Satan, again, immediately is subduing and subverting God's, God's intent. Just a sidebar, that's free. Said to the woman, indeed, has God said, listen, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? So again, immediately he's questioning God's authority, God's word. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Did God say that? God did not say that. He said, don't eat it or you'll die. He didn't say don't touch it. Not that we have a revelation of. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave it also, listen, to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Listen, in this story, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we are introduced to what you could call the antagonist. Every story's got a bad guy. Right? You got a bad guy. Look, we, we, we've told you before, our family loves Hallmark movies. There's really only one Hallmark movie. Right? You understand that, right? There's thousands of Hallmark movies, but there's really only one plot. Right? Boy meets girl. Ball fall, boy falls in love with girl. Somebody does something stupid, so they get mad at each other, and then they kiss at the end. You've seen every Hallmark movie ever created if you just memorized that. Again, that's free as well. I love Hallmark movies, but you take the same plot and just mix in different boys and girls. Right? But there's always an antagonist. And it's funny, when we're watching the movie, we'll say, there it goes. There it goes. And in this story, there's a bad guy. God's perfect creation rebels against him and sins. God's creation decides that it knows better than God, that it cannot trust God at his word, and they disobey God's clear command. 
The Bible calls this sin. Listen, at the root of every single sin ever committed is this. You and I want to, it's traced back to here. You and I want to determine for ourselves what is good and what is evil. That is at the root of every sin. We do not want to submit to what God says is good and evil. We want to determine for ourselves. Because listen, Adam and Eve already knew what was good and evil. God had already said, don't eat from this tree, i.e. evil. Walk with me in obedience, i.e. good. Here's the deal. The moment you eat from that tree, here's the deal. You're going to want to determine for yourself what is good and evil. And that's exactly what we see. And this is hugely important. Go to Judges, one of the most popular phrases in the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the essence of sin. How many times do you think you hear this? I know what the Bible says, but you're putting your wisdom over God's wisdom. And this is the issue with all humanity. We don't want to submit to God. We want to determine for ourselves. And we see it in our day. We want to determine ourselves, even, even with regards to gender. I'm not a boy. I'm not a girl. Forgive me. I'm not trying to be funny, but I am. It's ridiculous. We want to determine for ourselves who can, you know, it's not man and woman. We, we'll, we know better. We can marry whoever we want to marry. Well, you can, but it's called sin. Sin. You go to James 3, the wisdom from above, and James gives those examples. But the wisdom from above is this. That's the issue in all of life, men and women. Whose wisdom are you going to live by? Your own, or are you going to submit to God's? That's the issue. Again, even even second Second Timothy, we know we know three sixteen. But look at verse fifteen. It says the word of God is able to make us wise unto salvation. This is why Proverbs says there is a way that seems right in the eyes of man, but in the end it leads to where death. It's why every Sunday I'll say things, and I promise you there are people even here that tune me out because you think you know better than the Word. And we come to the Word, and we want to sit over the Word. We want to, let me see what it says, then I'll see if I believe it. You think you know better. And again, it's traced all the way back to here. Sin, that's sin. We, we, we want to live autonomously from God. And again, here's the conflict. You see it on your handout. Humanity was created to rule over God's creation as God's representatives bearing his image. And yet what we see, and yet we see what happens when humanity submits to God's creation or serves the creation according to their own wisdom rather than submitting to God's wisdom. That is the issue behind all sin. Here, the rest, listen. The rest of the Bible shows us very detailed account of what happens when man lives according to their own wisdom. Chaos. And what happens here in Genesis 3 is God's creation is now under the rule of another. His perfect creation has been stolen, if you will, by Satan. And look at the results. Verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Listen, 
they hid themselves. Listen, you and I are still hiding ourselves today. You know why? Because we know, we're, we, know we sin. We know there's parts of our character that doesn't line up with God's. We're hiding ourselves today. They're no longer naked and unashamed. Now, now, hey, it's no longer wise to be naked. And listen, today it's not wise to be naked. Outside your bathroom, shower, getting more specific, sorry. Right? It's not good to be, it's not good to be naked. Look at 8 and 10, 8 through 10. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat? The woman said, The man said, Here you go. Way you go, boys. The woman you gave me made me do it. She gave it to me. It's her fault. Right? Listen, what do you see here? You see the effects that you and I are feeling today. The relationship between man and God, destroyed. Relationship between man and woman, other creation, destroyed. When I say destroyed, it's no longer perfect. Even the relationship between man and creation, destroyed. In a moment, God's going to kill an animal to clothe them. It's going to be a picture of the gospel. Enmity. Death. And again, all of this is due sin. Everything God had righteously created has been turned upside down. Through Adam and Eve's sin. And you see it on a handout. As a result of sin, rather than experiencing peace and eternal life with God... Rather than enjoying Him and His creation as we rule on His behalf, God would be separated from fellowship with His creation. Seen in that God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden and they would die, reminding us that God and His creation are now at odds and in need of reconciliation. You see how telling the whole story creates the context and now all of a sudden Jesus shows up to, to seek and save, Luke 19, to seek and save that which is lost. You see how that makes sense now? When, when in Matthew 1, when they say, You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see why that makes sense now? And God's creation now dies because of sin. Death enters the picture. And death forever reminds us that of our sin and its devastating consequences. It even reminds us that God is a promise keeper. Because as soon as you eat from that tree, what did he say would happen? You'll die. God is righteous even in keeping his promises to punish his creation. Death. And the rest of Genesis 3 explains the consequences of sin. Labor will be hard, meaning the ground is going to fight back. Childbirth will be hard. Enmity between man and woman, hard. And again, everything that you and I see around us, the brokenness in this world, is due sin. God's creation has rebelled against Him and His design and His commands, and the fruit of that is chaos and animosity. Not only between man and, other, man and woman and man and creation, but man and God. And the truth that you have to, rec to communicate is just that. 
do sin. You see it on a handout. Do sin. Do rebellion against God. God's creation is broken. It, things are not as God intended. Again, go to Genesis chapter 3, verses 23 and 24. The Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and the, bee, and the east of the Garden of Eden he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Listen, not only, not only was there being kicked, them being kicked out a consequence of sin, but it was also a protection. Imagine what would have happened if Adam and Eve in their sinful state would have eaten from that tree where they'd live forever. Got a problem. You see God's faithfulness here? Even, even in disciplining them? And, and what we see in the rest of the Bible, again, is the fallout and consequences what you and I see in our lives, what we battle, what we battled last night. I, I'm trying to make my kids a milkshake and they're fighting over the remote and all that. I'm like, are you kidding me? And, and then I, I get sinful. I want to just pour the whole, uh, I, I, I want to pour the whole, what's it called, a blender. I just want to pour the whole thing down the sink. What we see, it, it's all due sin. Genesis 4, 4, it's crouching at your door looking for someone to devour. And the issue is this, the problem is this, you see it in your handout, God's creation was not righteous and thus could no longer represent God rightly on their own due sin. That's our underlying problem. That's the state of humanity, captive to sin, slaves to sin. A creation that was created to represent and enjoy God and serve Him gladly now finds itself unable to do any of these things. God's creation, again, do sin under the sovereignty of God. This did not catch God by surprise. We'll see that in next week. Finds itself under the weight of God's wrath now. Condemned. And that's the universal dilemma. That's what we saw in Romans 3, 9 through 19. There is none righteous. No, not one. What the issue now is God's creation lacks righteousness. Loss of righteousness. Loss of the image of God. No longer perfect. Under the power, under the slavery of sin. Guilty. Unable to break free of this on their own. This is Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin is death. And the rest of the Old Testament shows this in its result. Death. All the Old Testament sacrifices were a reminder of the sinfulness of God's creation. Death. That man always falls short. That man cannot be righteous on their own. And look over real quickly as we close Genesis 5. And forgive me, this has gone a little bit long. I Forgive me, I've been good about getting you out of 1045, but not today, sorry. Look at Genesis 5 just to see this. Look at verses 1 and 2. This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day in which they were created. The word Adam there literally means man, just so you, you know that. A couple things important to see here. In Genesis 1, we see that Adam was made in the image of God. And Genesis 5, verses 1 through 2, 
they reiterate this, that Adam was created in the image of God. Look at verse 3. So in chapter 5, you have these genealogies. And look at what has changed. This is important. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son, not in God's likeness, in his own likeness, according to, not God's image, his image, and named him Seth. Sin nature. Passed down from generation to generation to generation. That's why it's important when we saw in Romans 5 about the whole deal with Adam. That literally Christ will be a new Adam. Again, that's why this is important. God is redeeming what he originally created. And if you, tra- if you go through all these genealogies in chapter 5, at the end of every single section, you will find a, the same three words, and he died. Next section, and he died. And he died. Every single generation, every single one of them except Enoch, which offers us hope. And he died. And what you see through the rest of the Old Testament, heading into the New, is this. It doesn't matter how great they were. Moses, Abraham, Aaron, David, Solomon, you name it. What did they all have in common? They all sinned and they all died. Every single one of them fell short. The rest of the Old Testament picture of fallenness and consequence of it. And here's what the reader, here's why I say, if we, if we understand the story well, and I'll close with this, here's what the reader would be asking themselves if they were reading or if they were watching this story unfold. Here's the question you'd be asking yourself. How can the relationship between God and His creation be reconciled? How can God's creation be restored? How can God's creation be made righteous again? And listen, when you read the rest of the Old Testament, here's what you would say, it's impossible. Because every single one of God's best men and women, you know what they did? They sinned. Even the disciples, if you were to go to Matthew 19, 5, Mark 10, 26, Luke 18, 26, here's the question the disciples ask. When they, when they see the need for perfection, when they see the standard, here's what they ask. Who then can be saved? That's the question. To which Jesus, in 19, 6, says, What is impossible with man is possible with God. With God, all things are possible. That's why Paul could say in in Romans 5.20, where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And when we come back, leave a little cliffhanger, When we come back, we're going to see the rest of the story. Amen?